Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. We are in a series entitled Passion for the House. Uh, what do we mean when we say passion? In case some of you don't know, and I, I live out that, that word. Uh, I embody the definition of this thing. I want to give you the definition, though. Uh, the word passion is strong and barely controllable emotion. Strong and barely controllable emotion. And so we are doing a series called Passion for the House, and you're like, what house? We're, we're, we're using house to identify church. And so really what we're talking about is passion for the church. Let me put it in these terms. We have a strong and barely controllable emotion. Come on, are you with me? For the church. Why is that? We have to go back and listen to last week's message. It's because it's what God is doing today. It's how he's moving. It's what he's building. It's what he's passionate about. He's passionate about the church. Okay, what is the church? The word is ecclesia, and it literally means called out or called together ones. Um, that is us. We make up the church, and so when we're talking about church, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about a community. We're talking about a people, uh, and I'm telling you, we are here at Canvas are passionate about the house, passionate about building what God is into building, so much so, really today, if you're joining us for the first time, today we're really actually officially kicking off uh, this series. Two weeks ago, uh, we had two church planters here uh, who, who spoke to us, one in the first, one in the second. How many guys uh, believe planting churches is a good thing? Yeah, okay, and so we're a part of that. So much so we're a part of that. This is the exciting thing, that today, Canvas Church is strategically involved in planting 20 new churches around the nation. Isn't that awesome? Uh, come on, give yourselves a hand. You say, Pastor, how are we doing that? We are doing that because every month we give finances to the organization that helped plant us, ARC, Association Related Churches. And so now today with our financial giving, we are helping plant 20 new churches today alone. And so that's pretty exciting. Matter of fact, this month uh, will be the largest uh, launch month that ARC has ever had. So many churches planting this month around the nation. And so that's exciting. So we're a part of that. And uh, because when people get passionate about what God God is doing and get involved, incredible things happen. Are you catching that? Uh, I really believe that. Let me read it to you again. Uh, when people, that's us, get passionate about what God is doing and what is he doing, he's building his church, and get involved in it, incredible things happen. Incredible things happen. You say, Pastor, like what types of incredible things? Well, I'm going to read you a verse here um, that isn't in your notes, but I'm going to read you one here, and this is how I've summarized it. Uh, in, our, in our Passion for the House series, we will discover that the church is a place of provision. Now, we're talking about provision, meeting the needs of people. We're talking about finances, okay? It's a place of provision, a place for people. Come on, all the people here would agree with that, right? You're here. It's a place of God's presence, and it's a place for the possible. Where, where are we getting that from? We're getting that from a New Testament passage. And you can, if you want to turn there, you can. Just hold your finger in Deuteronomy. In Acts chapter 2, um, and it's the birth of the New Testament church. It's the birth of what you and I are experiencing today, uh, being in church together. And it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And the heading over my section of these verses says, A generous and growing church. A generous and growing church. And the reason it says that is because there is a direct link in the kingdom of God between growth and generosity. And there's a generous and growing church. And listen to what it says. It says, so those who accepted his message, those are believers, were baptized. And on this particular day, 3,000 people were added to them. 
Are you with me? Isn't that exciting? Well, how in the world were 3,000 people added to them? We're going to read why, because they, 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 they saw what it was to be the church. And when they got involved with what God is doing, man, incredible things began to happen. How many of you guys think it would be awesome if next service 3,000 people showed up? Yeah. All of the people not serving on a ministry team raised their hand. That would be awesome. All the ministry team was like, See, you don't have the vantage point I have. I'm looking out at all the people. I see the facial expressions. I see the, this going on. All the people that aren't serving are like, that would be amazing because I'm leaving after this service, right? And all the ministry team are like, no, 3,000? Could we just get like 30, like 3,000? Well, in this particular passage and setting, 3,000 people were added to them. Now, now listen to what the New Testament church was doing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And in context, uh, that's the word. They were teaching the word. So they were giving themselves to the Bible. How many of you guys believe it's a good thing in church? Come on, to give yourself to the Bible. So they were devoted themselves to that, to the fellowship and to the breaking of street tacos, to jousting and jumpers and yard games. Come on, what, is, what, what am I talking about here? It doesn't really say that in scripture, but that's my interpretation because they were hanging out together. They were having fun together. They were doing life together, right? And they gave themselves to prayer. We just finished up 21 days of incredible prayer together, right? Then fear came over everyone. Now that's not a, a fear that they were afraid. It was a fear of where they were holding something in awe. Like, oh my gosh, like this is incredible what's taking place. And check this out. Many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. What is that? That's the part where I talked about when you're passionate about what God is passionate about, anything's possible. Listen, the church is a place of the possible. The church is a place of miracles. The church is a place when the doctor doesn't have the answer. Come on, you can go to your community and believers will lay hands on the sick. Are you with me? And they'll recover. Come on, just because the doctor doesn't have the answer doesn't mean God doesn't have the answer. Doesn't mean God doesn't have the cure. Come on, the church is a place of the possible. And if you don't believe that, just stick around this place for a little while longer. It's going to get on you. This is a place of the possible. Listen to me. Uh, we are sitting right now uh, in a building that seemed absolutely impossible a year ago. But we serve a God of the possible. And we came out of 21 days of prayer and God opened up a door and he brought us, come on, into something. What's impossible with man, come on, is possible with God. So when you get involved with the church, man, it's a place of the possible. Okay, are you with me this morning? Now all the believers were together, that's them meeting together again, and held all things in common. Check this out. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in a temple complex, broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful, with joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. That's the church. Are you with me this morning? And so we're passionate about it. And we believe that when we're passionate about what God's passionate about, the church becomes a place of provision. We just read it. becomes a place for people. It becomes a place of God's presence. And it becomes a place of the possible. Deuteronomy chapter 15. We're going to start reading in verse 7. Now let me just give you the context of Deuteronomy because it will help you understand, I think, why this is being said. Here's the context of Deuteronomy. Uh, one of the first five books of the Bible, uh, written by Moses, okay? Context is this, is they have left Egypt, okay? 
they are no longer in Egypt. Egypt was at once a place of freedom, a place of provision. It had then become a place of slavery and bondage for them. They leave Egypt, they're out of Egypt. God has promised them a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. How many of you guys would like that land right there? Sounds like a nice coffee shop, milk and honey cafe. And, and, and it promised them this promised land, so they're headed to the promised land. But before they cross over the Jordan and they begin to take out the, the cities that God tells them they have to take out to get to their promised land, Moses begins to write this. And he begins to gather all of the people and begins to gather all of the congregation before they go in. They're no longer in Egypt. They're no longer in the promised land. And he begins to lay down some framework for them to live by once they get to the promised land. Are you with me? Okay. In other words, they've been under a a rule, a system for so long that now they are living still, even though they're no longer in Egypt, they are still living according to that rule and that philosophy and that mandate. Now they're about to go into the promised land, but before they go into the promised land, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gathers the people together and says, guys, we got to lay down some more groundwork because I think we forgot some ways that we're supposed to live as the children of Israel. You with me? Okay. Gathers them, begins to give them some stuff. Okay. So similar is that to us today that before we knew Jesus, we were under an old system. We were under an old way of thinking. We were under an old rule. We were under old, 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 old sets of rules, and we lived that way. But when we get saved, we come into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And as we get into his word, what's taking place is he's laying the groundwork for how we're supposed to live as believers. Are you with me this morning? Okay, so this is the context in which this is written. Deuteronomy chapter 15, starting verse 7 says, if there is a poor person among you and of your brothers within any of your gates in the land the Lord God is giving you, you must not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother, okay? Talking about your community, your context. Listen, I'm giving you this promised land. When you guys go in together, here's how I want you to treat people, verse 8. Instead, you are to open up your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever he need he has. Sounds very similar to Acts chapter 2, doesn't it? The New Testament church. When the New Testament church was birthed, what was it? It was a generous and growing church. They had all things in common. They were sharing with one another. Generosity just flowed out of who they were, right? It's the New Testament church. Here now in the Old Testament, God is reminding them, here's who you are as a people, here's how you ought to treat them. Verse nine, be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near and you are stingy toward your poor brother and give him nothing. What's happening there? Well, there was a system set up there where if you owed somebody money, you would work to pay back that debt, okay? But after seven years of working to pay back that debt, everything would reset and the balance would be back to zero. And you would no longer owe that money. How many of you guys would like to see that happen in our, our economy today? <laughs> I've only had the house for seven years and I owe nothing. Woo! Right? That'd be awesome. That was the system set up. 
So what he's saying here, he's not, he, what he's saying is, hey, look, if you see somebody in need, don't hold back your generosity because the seventh year is about to come and you're like, you know what, I'm just gonna hold this back because their debt's gonna get reset anyway. He's saying, no, 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 don't, don't even pay attention to that. No, no, you go because it's not about them getting, it's about you giving. You with me? He addresses it. He said, it's about your heart. Don't let your wicked heart get in the way and hold you back from blessing them because you're looking and saying, well, their debt's gonna get reset anyway. He will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty. Give to him and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I am commanding you, you must be willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray in the next few moments that we have together that, Lord, you would just speak to us in this place. God, I pray that you would take these words, God, that, uh, that are clearly written in both the book of Acts and in Deuteronomy, and, Lord, you would encourage us today to be passionate about the church, to be passionate about the house. That, God, when it comes to giving, when it comes to generosity flowing out of our lives, we would have a biblical understanding and a biblical context, and we would exercise that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, amen. Um, I have two incredible daughters, and they are older now. They're in high school. And, um, and so I don't see certain behaviors, at least they don't manifest themselves the same way they did when they were younger. But I was reminded of their younger behavior uh, recently because I have two incredibly handsome nephews um, that if you've never met them, Cole and Jake, man, they are the cutest little guys in the world. And uh, we were hanging out over at their house, and, um, and every time I go, I don't really go to hang out with my brother and sister-in-law, Cody and Michelle. I go to hang out with Jake and Cole, right? And so, like, I'll usually end up over there where the toys are, playing with them, and they got some really cool toys nowadays, by the way. And, uh, and so I'll hang out, and I'll be playing with them. I, mean, I remember the last time I was over there, and uh, can I get some water? I remember the last time I was over there, and I saw, um, I saw Cole playing with a toy. Thank you so much. I saw Cole playing with a toy, and then Jake was over here doing something. And, um, and they were just playing totally fine, totally happy, totally content. And all of a sudden, Jake leaves that toy, goes to pick up another toy to play with, and all of a sudden, I see this look of hatred come over Cole's face. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and he drops the toy that he's playing with, and immediately runs over to the one that Jake picked up, rips it out of his hands, and he was like, I was playing with that, in his little broken words. And I'm like, what, what did he just say? <laughs> Mine, I'm playing with that. And it's like, no you weren't, you little demon child. Come on, somebody. <laughs> now, I, I can say that because I'm related to him, all right? I was like, what you, you, you were not playing with that. And all of a sudden he takes it and he starts playing with it, and there's Jake like, so he goes and picks up another toy, and what does Cole do? Drops that toy. Mine! And they, they really were his toys, but he wasn't playing with them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I started having these flashbacks when my kids uh, were little. Maybe it's not so much toys, maybe it's clothes now. Come on, somebody, you with me? Right? And you know, I, was, I realized something in that moment that honestly, our heart um, isn't, isn't naturally bent towards sharing, our heart isn't naturally bent towards giving. Our heart is really bent towards, that's mine, and I want to I keep it. 
Now, this still manifests itself in, in our relationship with my wife today sometimes, typically when we're out eating food. Come on, somebody. <laughs> now, all the men probably know where I'm going with this one. But I learned in my 22 years of marriage, when we go out to eat, and she, and I'm like, hey, babe, you want anything? She goes, no, I'm not really that hungry. Number one, she's lying. But I have come to realize that that means she just wants to nibble off of my food, okay? But women, if you don't know this about men, listen, there are a lot of things we will share with you in life, but food is not one of those. It is not in our DNA and the makeup of who we are. You, you don't, there, there are a lot of things you can have, but when that plate of food is there, you get your hands off it, woman. That is my plate of food. And so what I've come to learn is if she says, see, the men are like, uh, he's lying. No, I'm not. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I've come to learn something that, that if she says she's not that hungry, I'm just going to order a little extra. Come on, somebody. Because I'm not willing to fight that battle anymore. So take some notes, man. All right? Just, just take some notes. If she says, no, I'm not that hungry, just think, okay, it's cool, babe. And then just, just supersize your order. Come on, somebody. Because you know, because here's the thing, here's the thing, I, even if I was to order fries, she's like, well, can I just have the extra ones that fall in the bag? That is not extra. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not like they gave me fries and they're like, oh, we should give them a little extra. That didn't happen. No, those fell out of the container, ladies and gentlemen. Is somebody with me? That is not extra. No, that is my dessert. After I finish these fries, come on, somebody, I'm going to have those fries as well, Right? And so just instinctively, there's this thing that just we, 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 that that's ours. We guard what is ours. This is ours. Something had happened in the heart of the children of Israel that when they left Egypt, it was so noticed by God that God it just put something on Moses and said, hey, you need to address something. You need to address the heart. You need to address the heart. Because when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. And here's the reality. As I'm talking even right now about generosity and giving, I would say probably 100% of you right now are thinking about finances. But giving in the scriptures is not just about finances. Giving in the scripture is something that God instituted so that we could bless others but also so that he could get to our heart and bless us. Are you with me this morning? We think, we think all the time, just I think when, when someone gets up to talk about, about giving, we, we instantly go to the idea of finance. As a matter of fact, let me read you a verse. Luke 6, 37 through 38. You can write it down. It might be on the screens as well. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Let me ask you this question. Is finances mentioned anywhere in that passage? No. Majority of the time when it's taught, and the majority of the time when it's read, the very first thing you think about is finances, okay? And I'm going to try to help you understand why. It's not about finances. It's, it's, it's a principle in Scripture 
that I think can apply to so many areas of our life. We see the principle. The principle seems pretty, pretty clear. If I don't judge, then I won't be judged. So in other words, what I measure out will be measured back to me. I don't judge, guess what? I don't get judged, right? Now what it says, do not condemn, and guess what? That's gonna get measured back to me. I won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven, right? Okay, awesome, so in other words, if I'm not experiencing forgiveness in my life, maybe I need to check here and say, hey, am I extending forgiveness to others? As I give forgiveness out, it'll be given back. The principle is there specific to these things, but I think can encompass so many other things, right? And he says, give and it will be given you good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Here's the thing, when we read that verse, our minds instinctively go towards finances. Why is that? Because that verse is specifically addressing the heart. It's a heart thing. And here's what you need to understand. Money is linked to your heart. Now before you get upset with me and start judging me, remember, judge not. <laughs> Let me give you a, a verse. This isn't me saying this, this is the word of God saying this. In Matthew 6, 21 it says, for where your treasure is, now I don't care what kind of study you do on that, that word treasure, it is speaking about finances. It is speaking about, now back then the treasure might have been measured differently, but it's talking about that treasure, that wherever that treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the Bible's saying this, if God can get to the thing called money in your life and deal with that, then he can get to your heart. Are you with me? I mean, how many of you guys have ever um, done anything with the stock market before? Okay. If you've never done anything with the stock market, you're probably not going and checking out the stocks. The minute you take your money and you put it in the stocks, what are you doing? You're checking. Maybe even while I'm preaching. <laughs> even though it's probably not doing much over the weekend. Right? You're checking. Right? Because all of a sudden you've tied yourself to something, so now all of a sudden you're invested in it, so all of a sudden now you want to be there involved in it. The minute you begin to tie your treasure, let me put it in these terms, the minute you begin to tie your finances to the kingdom of God, guess what? Your heart is drawn into it as well. Right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I need you to understand this before we go any further. Because here's the thing, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. He sees humanity, he sees what motivates culture and humanity, and he says, okay, then this is what we're gonna do, right? He doesn't need it. Matter of fact, there was a professor, a guest speaker, speaking to a bunch of college students, and as he was talking to these college students, he was prompted to ask this question. He said, he said why does God ask us to give? And 100% of the students said something along these lines. So that the church can grow and the kingdom can be furthered. Sounds like a great answer, doesn't it? The professor said, no. God doesn't need your money to do that. I mean, think about it. You read the Bible and guess what the streets of heaven are paved with? Gold. Do you think a God who paved heaven's streets with gold needs your money? 
The Bible says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's a lot of cattle. <laughs> Even if it's one cattle on a hill, come on somebody. There's a thousand hills. It's a lot of cattle. Are you with me? He doesn't need your money. What he's after is your heart. God instituted giving here again in Deuteronomy. Before we go into the promised land, guys, we need to talk about something. Let's talk about the giving. And did you notice how many times in Deuteronomy it went back to the heart? Don't have a stingy heart, right? Don't have a selfish heart. Don't have a wicked heart. Don't have that. What's he after? He's after the heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You hear me this morning? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Um, as your pastor, if you've been coming to this church for a while, you know this. This might be one of the most intentional messages you've heard ever me preach on giving on, on, or on generosity, I should say. And here's why. Because I had to wrestle with my own thoughts on it for a long time. Because for the longest time, um, I believed this, this system, and I was even involved in this system, that would tell you this, that you need to give in order to receive. You need to give to get, okay? Now, notice this. When we read the, the, the passage in Luke where it says, hey, give forgiveness, you'll receive forgiveness, is that principle there? Yes, but it's not there as a mandate, it's there as a benefit. It's not there, listen to me. I, I was in a system that taught, hey, if you don't have blessings in your life, it's probably because you're not giving. No, no, no. W what I've come to realize is I have blessings in my life and therefore I give. I am not giving trying to get something. I already got something and so out of that, I can freely give to other people. Are you with me? This isn't about, listen, it flips everything. For so long it was under this, hey, you're not blessed, you want the right house, you want a better car, oh, you're not married yet, you want a wife? I've heard them all, ladies and gentlemen. Give, serve, give some finance, are you tithing, are you? No, 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 listen to me. As, as I've studied scripture, I've come to realize something, no, listen to me. If I never make another cent in my life, another penny in my life, I still got the greatest gift of all time, and that is salvation. That is a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Really nothing else matters at this point, but because I've received from him, and I realize, man, life is good whether I have money or don't have money, I've got eternal hope and eternal salvation. Because of that, I just freely give. I don't give to get, I got, so I give. Are you with me this morning? And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you need to understand this, this, biblical, this biblical model. So let me just give you a few thoughts as we wrap this thing up. Are you with me this morning? Is anybody thinking about the jouster yet, knocking their wife off or their husband off? Come on, somebody. I actually got scared when my wife grabbed that thing and was like, I was like, okay, I'm done. I learned a long time ago. So how do, we, how do we get to that place of having a generous spirit? Because that's really what Deuteronomy is talking about, and that's really what Acts chapter 2 that I read at the beginning, that's really what we see, a generous and growing church. Passion for the church, passion for the house will show up as we understand biblical generosity. So how, how do we get there? How do we get to that place? Number one, we got to deal with a selfish heart. we got to deal with a selfish heart. Look at Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 9 again. 
And it says, if there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your gates in the land and the Lord your God has given you, you must not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough, whatever he has. Be careful that there isn't, listen to it now, a wicked thought in your heart. What's he talking about? He's talking about dealing with a heart that's selfish. We gotta deal with a, a selfish heart. God calls these thoughts of selfishness wickedness. Don't, don't look at the system. Okay, come on, church. Listen to me. I believe this with all my heart. If the church is doing its job, come on, healthcare is already provided. If the church is doing its job, man, the needy are already cared for. If the church is doing its job, those that need to be fed are fed. Are you with me? Listen, I believe with all my heart the reason we see the rise of some of these things in our culture and we have parachurch organizations doing that and parachurch organizations doing this and, and government getting involved the way government gets involved, it's because the church needs to get back to the place it's supposed to be. You with me? But in order for the church to get back to the place where it should be, we need to make sure that we deal with a selfish, a selfish heart. He says, don't wait for the seven years to reset. You take care of them right now. Listen to me, greed and selfishness are not proper motives for giving. Greed and selfishness are not proper motives for giving. That takes me back to the statement I made earlier. If we teach a gospel that says give and you'll get, we are preaching a self-centered, selfish gospel. We are teaching people fundamentally something that is not seen in scripture. Because we're teaching people, hey, do this and you can have more. That's selfish, that's self-centered, that's greed. No, we have because of him and his goodness. What are we doing with it? Let's bless, let's give, let's provide, let's support, let's care for, let's love on. Are you with me this morning? It's not a good reason to give. God wants to change us from greedy, selfish takers into grateful, generous givers. Listen, because here's what I, I know this to be true because I am one. Generous people are the happiest people on the planet. Generous people are the happiest people on the planet. He's got to deal with a selfish heart. Selfish heart. Hmm. Let me just give you the next one. Uh, he's got to deal with a grieving or stingy heart. A grieving or stingy heart. Look at this in Deuteronomy 15 verse, verse 10. I can find it in my Bible. Give to him and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you. What's he talking about? He's not even really focused on the, the, the amount you're giving or the giving part. He's focused on the heart. Don't give with a stingy. That, that word stingy, some of your translations might say a, a grieving heart. See, selfishness will attack you before you even have the opportunity to give. Hold on to it, it's mine, hold on to it. But grief will hit you after you give your finances. It's, it's kind of similar to buyer's remorse. Anybody ever had that before? <laughs> you, ever, you ever given something? Because you just felt, man, I'm moved and you gave, and you gave that away. And, and all of a sudden, something happens that week, the car breaks down. Listen, we have been hit with a car demon lately in our house. 
Pastor, you believe in those? No, lighten up, but <laughs> our cars have been to the shop like four times this week. Man, we've done the tote company's getting tired of us. Thank God for AAA. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but grief will hit you after you give. You gave, and you're like, man, you were motivated in that moment. I'm going to give, and all of a sudden something happens that week. What's the first thing you think about? Man, I shouldn't have given. I don't have the money now to fix this. Okay, this is strange. Have you guys ever had that happen before where you're sitting in service and all of a sudden a thought hits you? Like, I'm really hungry right now? <laughs> right? You're like, yeah, every weekend, Pastor, you almost got this thing wrapped up. Right? <laughs> I just have one of those thoughts. After we wrap everything up today, I have a meeting, and I just realized I forgot my wallet, and I don't have any cash on me, and, um, and I need some money. Um, and... I, Oh. What? <laughs> Trev, bro, you're visiting today and you came all the way up here and you gave me a hundred bucks? Unbelievable. I gotta do that more often on the weekend. I saw other people start to dig into their bags. I'm like, hey, come on, bring it, bring it, bring it. That might be. Now look at him, he's over there smiling. He like gave this freely. Like, are you even grieving the, the fact that you gave this? No, he's not even grieving the fact that he gave this. Why is that? Because before the service, I gave him $100. <laughs> and I said, at some point in the service, and so he freely ran up here and gave this to me. <laughs> Why? Because he realized it wasn't his. And so because he realized it wasn't his, the minute the need was there, he could freely walk up and give the $100 and go back over there and not even have grief in his heart. The reason some of us have grief in our heart is because we have the wrong perspective about whose money it is to start with. See, we think it's our money and we think, man, I worked really hard for this, not realizing that he's the one that gave you the power to get the wealth, not realizing he's the one that provided the job for you, not, not realizing he's the one that gave you the pay raise, not realizing that without him, you would have nothing and you have the wrong perspective of your money and so you hold on to it when the need is there. But if you have the perspective that says, you know what, God, you gave this to me. This isn't mine. If somebody is in need, if somebody among you don't have a stingy heart, don't have a grieving heart, you freely give. Why? Because you have the proper understanding that it isn't mine to start with. It belongs to him. And God wants to deal with that stingy, grieving heart. Why? So number three, he can begin to develop a generous heart inside of you. I'm not going to read it, but just highlight Deuteronomy 15, 14. God says, don't just give enough, but be generous. Be like the New Testament church in the book of Acts chapter 2, where they had all things in common, and they could just give, and they could give, and man, nobody had a need among them. Why? Because they realized what they had wasn't theirs, and it's like, hey, man, you're in trouble. You have, man, I got you. I got your back. Let's do this together. That's what's so powerful about the church. Man, when you become passionate about what God's passionate about, you realize that what you have isn't even yours. It belongs to him. And now we're growing and now we're increasing and now we're seeing more people saved. Develop a generous heart and we've got to practice this. Lastly, number four, worship team, you can come. Develop a grateful heart. Develop a grateful heart. Man, we're removing a, a, a selfish heart by his grace. We're removing a stingy, greedy heart by his grace. 
And man, we're beginning to learn how to have a generous heart as a community because we're practicing it and we're walking out and we have the proper understanding. Listen to me, this is a great message on finances, but it's not just about finances. It's about generosity. It's about you giving out of what you have because God has blessed you. You give. He gives a generous heart, but then he has a great, you've got to develop a grateful heart. Look at Deuteronomy 15, 15, again, for time's sake, just highlight it. You can go back to it. Man, the greatest way to develop a grateful heart is to remember that you were once a slave. Is to remember that you once were in bondage. You were once in a place where you didn't have. You were once in a place of lack. You were once in this place, in that place, whatever it is. You go back and you remember what you came out of. You remember the life that you were once in. You remember that life of addiction, that life of bondage, that life of nothing, that life that was heading nowhere, that life without purpose. You remember that and all of a sudden you can just pause and say, man, God, I'm so grateful. So grateful for what you've brought me to and where I'm at today. Here's the great thing. You might not be where you want to be, but you're a lot further off along the journey than you were yesterday. And you just celebrate those little victories and celebrate those little wins. And you, man, you have a grateful heart. And as you just begin to remember what you came out of, remember where you were, man, it's easy to be generous as the church. Are you with me this morning? It's easy to be generous as the church. It's easy to be generous as the church. A generous and growing church, man, making an impact in a city, making an impact in a community, making an impact in a region. Generosity continues to flow in, and God begins to use this community more and more and more. Outreach in the marketplaces, outreach on the streets. Come on, are you with me? Come on, building out that youth center, building that thing out. There used to be a statistic, I don't know what it is now, but the statistic said that between three and six o'clock, most crimes are committed during the day. 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., why? Kids get out of school, have nothing to do. What if we gave them a place? What if we gave them an opportunity? Come on, what if we provided a tutoring facility for them where educators are there and kids come in, need help with their homework, they can't get it at home because mom and dad are working until six o'clock at night, getting home at seven. The kids need help, and there we are, and we got a tutoring facility. Man, what if we had a rehab center? Come on, what if we could help those that are coming in with recovery needs, addiction on their life? And man, we, well, well, how can we do that? Because we're a generous and growing church. Because we have, so we give. We're not giving to get more. No, 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 we got a lot, so we're going to give so we can reach more for the kingdom of God. But we do. We have passion for the house, we have passion for the church generosity becomes a byproduct because when you get involved with what God is involved in there is great provision God we thank you so much for your word go and stand to your feet today God we thank you so much for your word you're a good God you're a good God we thank you God for what you're doing at Canvas Church Lord I thank you for this community I thank you for the 3,000 you're going to add next service come on somebody God, we thank you, God, that we see, Lord, great things happening through us. So, Lord, I pray that over the next several weeks, as we dive deeper in to the Passion for the Heart, Passion for the House series, that, God, you would just, Lord, use each and every one of us, God, to reach those around us and make an impact. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So what I want you to do, church, I want you to pray this prayer with me, all right? Say, Holy Spirit. Come on, everyone together. Say, Holy Spirit. Give me opportunity to be generous. This week, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.